Welcome to Seen and Heard Industry Updates for the Modern Dairy Family. I'm Darby Toth, a Technical Field Services Representative with Western United Dairies. We're excited to bring you a full episode this week. Our first guest today is Dr. Michael Payne, a veterinarian at UC Davis's School of Veterinary Medicine and Director of the California Dairy Quality Assurance Program, who's bringing us a segment on on-farm safety. Next, we're joined by our CEO, Anya Radabaugh, to talk about WUD's current legislative work in the Capitol. And finally, we're happy to share a market update from our partners over at Blimling. We're thankful for all of our guests this week and excited to jump right into this week's episode. Hi, I'm Jessica with PG&E. 811 is a free service to keep our community safe. Before you do any digging, PG&E will mark your gas and electric lines so you don't hit them. Call 811 before you dig. To learn more, visit pg.com safety. Hi folks, hope you had a great week. We're going to end this holiday shortened week on pretty solid footing in our dairy markets. Blocks are going to close at 237 and a quarter. Barrels a little bit higher at 244. Butter finished the week at 275.50 and nonfat at 182.25. The steady to mostly higher spot prices have definitely kept our futures curve elevated uh, well out into 2023. So for de- through December, our class three futures market, so milk going into cheese, is averaging 24.48 uh, with $20 plus prints well into 2023. On the class four side of the ledger, milk going into butter powder, uh, prices through December average $24.87 with $21 prints well into next year. So uh, quite elevated futures curve, lots of things to look at, different options to consider um, if you want to employ some risk management on your milk price uh, side of the equation. Certainly uh, great that our milk prices have come up uh, because we certainly need them. The increasing increases in grains have just been relentless. Certainly ongoing concerns over Ukraine and uh, what our new crop prospects here in the U.S. will look like have both corn and soybean markets uh, pretty elevated and, and very volatile. Looking forward to next week, it's a pretty busy one for dairy reports. We're going to start uh, on Tuesday with a global dairy trade event out of Oceana. I think all eyes are going to be on China's appetite at this auction. The last event two weeks ago, we did see reduced participation from China. Uh, That led to lower whole milk powder prices out of that auction. And Fonterra did announce they will indeed offer more volumes of whole milk powder for sale at uh, this coming week's auction. We'll follow on Wednesday with the milk production report for March. Uh, Keep in mind the year-over-year comps are going to be pretty hard to beat. Um, The U.S. is going to have to beat a plus 2% gain last March, and California will have to beat a plus 1.5% gain last March. I think here all eyes are going to be on cow numbers. Uh, Recall in February we did uh, see a shift in trend. We added 3,000 head to the herd. But that still left us down 96,000 year over year. Um, So we're going to be watching to see if if we continue to add to the herd and and continue to bridge that gap. We'll close out the week on Friday with a cold surge report. 
uh, folks there will be looking for signs of how inventory is built uh, from month to month. We were definitely off on a slow foot for butter build, so I think that will be pretty important to see if we were able to bridge the gap at all from February to March, and also if we added any uh, cheese inventories during the month of March at a, you know, any more aggressive rate or about, about uh, normal. So keep an eye out for all those reports and reach out if you have any questions. Thank you. Yosemite Farm Credit is the farmer's choice for agriculture financing. As a farmer-owned cooperative, we are dedicated to serving our neighbors in the agriculture community with financial products and services tailored to your operation and backed with a relationship you can trust. Whether you're purchasing real estate, making improvements to the dairy, or wanting to purchase or lease equipment, we're here to help our members prosper. Visit our website at yosemitefarmcredit.com to find a branch location nearest you. Well, welcome back to Seen and Heard. I'm being joined today by Dr. Michael Payne, a veterinarian at UC Davis's School of Veterinary Medicine and director of the California Dairy Quality Assurance Program, also known as CDQAP. Today, we're gonna get started with a question. And that question is just how big is the ag crime problem? Thanks, Darby. Thanks to you and for Western for helping get the word out on this. As to how big ag crime is, it it's probably will come as no surprise to uh, your listeners that ag theft is a big problem, not just with dairy, but with all of California ag. Because there's no central database to go ahead and report this, we have to rely on uh, surveys that have done periodically. And previously, surveys in individual counties like Tulare and Kern have typically reported county losses of between 3 and $4 million every year to farmers. Um, later on, one estimate by the Rural Crime Prevention Task Force put losses to California farmers at something about $30 million per year. But it's important to remember that only about 10% of rural crime is actually ever reported. So the real losses, which would include not only replacement uh, parts and repair, but also lost productivity as well, that may actually ultimately approach half a billion dollars per year. Ooh, those are some really big numbers. But what does this really look like in terms of the types of stuff that is actually being stolen? Uh, it's, it's no surprise to any farmers. Uh, it seems like that almost anything that's not nailed down can get stolen. Back in uh, 1993, the San Francisco Chronicle looked at available data and tallied up some of the losses for that year. And that included tractors and other equipment worth some $13 million, garlic worth $11.5 million, avocados worth $10 million, farm chemicals worth $2 million, um, cattle, live cattle, uh, worth uh, almost $2 million, and aluminum irrigation piping worth about $1.2 million. Well, it's pretty clear that when we look at these, these numbers that every producer has experienced theft of equipment and supplies, or they know someone that has. More recently, it seems though like we're seeing an increase in a much more scary crime, which is the armed robbery of employees. Yeah, um, this is a really concerning trend, that of the apparent increasing frequency of armed robberies of employees on the dairy, typically at night. Most uh, producers listening have probably heard about one of really several high-profile incidents. Uh, what, probably the most horrific of all of these occurred uh, back in 2020 with uh, 
two robberies of two Justine uh, area dairies that occurred separately, but by the same person on uh, April 15th and April 20th. Those assaults left one employee dead and another in intensive care. The assailant in those cases was convicted on a variety of charges, including murder, attempted murder, assault, and robbery, and he was sentenced last year to life in prison. Um, just last year, uh, in October of 2021, there were a rash of thefts from dairies in the Hillmar area. Those included vehicle break-ins and vehicle and equipment theft. There was at least one incident uh, of a robbery where a dairy employee was lured out onto the road uh, ostensibly to go ahead and assist with a stalled car, and he was subsequently robbed. Probably the incident everybody's thinking about right now, uh, this is this year in March, the rash of armed robberies that occurred on five Pixley area dairies and uh, where 13 victims were robbed of personal items like wallets and phones and jewelry. Uh, a one, car, one vehicle was hijacked, but fortunately that stolen vehicle was located by law enforcement, leading to a, an arrest of four suspects. Begun, because gunshots were exchanged during that arrest, all of those suspects will face charges of strong-armed robbery, attempted homicide of a police officer, carjacking, and conspiracy to commit uh, criminal felonies. Well, I think we can all agree that this is pretty terrifying. What advice can we give to producers who are worried about protecting their employees? Uh, well, like you, we wanted to get the very best advice as we could. So we went right to the experts, which started with the Rural Crime Prevention Task Force. It's a training and information sharing collaboration of all the rural sheriff's departments throughout the state. We also approached infrastructure security experts from the FBI and from the Department of Homeland Security. And what was their advice for actions to take before a robbery could happen? Well, before a robbery, they recommended first and foremost, discuss security with your employees. And this can be part of a regular OSHA training or be scheduled independently. Employees really need to be empowered to go ahead and report suspicious people or vehicles to the dairy, either the dairy owner or the dairy manager day or night. Uh, because many ag thefts are committed by people familiar with a particular farm's operation, including things like where and how equipment is stored and staffing and payday schedules, um, they, uh, it's, ideally, it's ideal that employees report persons who are asking security-related questions. It's also uh, useful to make sure that a shift supervisor has access to an office uh, landline phone to report the robberies even at 2 o'clock in the morning especially since mobile phones seem to be one of the items that are most frequently stolen. Lastly, in the, uh, the event that uh, smartphones are stolen, uh, prior installation of a Find Your Lost Phone app may lead law enforcement directly to the robbers. Now, these lost phone apps are free, and they're available, they're available for both iPhone and Android phones, and most of the newer models already have these apps installed on them. You just have to make sure you activate them. Obviously, you have to activate them before they actually get stolen. And what happens if a producer or employees, they find themselves during a robbery or right after a robbery? During a robbery, the, the um, recommendations are really clear and, and really strong. Employees should comply with robbers' instructions at all times. You know, trying to go ahead and fight back is, it's just, it's a, it's a you know, there's no cell phone or jewelry or wallet that's, that's worth their lives. Um, after the criminals are, have left, employees should immediately call 911, and they should describe the assailants and the vehicle they were using and the direction that they were traveling when they left. 
Uh, producers should also reassure employees uh, up front that their immigration status won't be affected by assisting the sheriff's department with investigation of these criminals. And lastly, producers can discuss posting a reward for information with the sheriff's department locally. You summarized all these recommendations and other recommendations in a CBQAP newsletter, correct? Right. Uh, you were good enough to go ahead and post a link to a newsletter article that summarizes all of this on Western United's podcast page. Uh, in addition, you've also uh, helped us out by posting a link to a white paper that CDQAP developed with law enforcement on how to deal with specific types of crime, like farm machinery theft, metal theft, fuel theft, battery theft, illegal dumping, drug labs, that sort of thing. And for our listeners, you can access both of these files. Their links will be right in the show notes. So it sounds like CDQAP has some additional plans related to farm and processor security coming up as well. Yeah, we're really excited. We're partnering with the Zenith company, uh, the, the Zenith Insurance Company, uh, and various state law enforcement agencies to deliver a virtual workshop and panel discussion to provide details on both dairy theft and, and dairy armed robbery. This webinar is going to take place on June 8th. You'll see more about that inside the CDQAP and Western's newsletters. We're also partnering right now with the cyber crimes gurus from the Department of Homeland Security, the FBI, California's Office of Emergency Services, and the Central Valley Intelligence Fusion Center. It's, it's a group where it brings together various agencies so that they're not, that they're not always just talking to themselves. Uh, and in order to deliver a, a secure invitation-only webinar for dairy processors that will address cyber attacks and ransomware. And so, and, and obviously every processor inside the state will be invited to go ahead and uh, participate in that. Well, thanks again, Dr. Payne. We really appreciate your time. And we know that CDQAP is always doing a lot of work on these kind of topics. And we're excited to share these resources with our members. Obviously, it's becoming an even bigger issue, so we appreciate your time. Thanks for your interest. We'll talk to you again. Did you know that you can turn your dairy manure into cash? Bennett Environmental is offering above-ground dairy digesters at no cost to you. These systems can also remove nitrates from your lagoons to help you comply with water board regulations. Our proven above-ground technology will generate income for your dairy into the foreseeable future. Because we truck the renewable natural gas off-site, your dairy can profit regardless of your location. Bennett Environmental, turning your wastewater liabilities into sustainable assets. Learn more at bennett-environmental.com. All right, well, welcome back to another segment on Seen and Heard. Today, we are joined by Western United CEO, Anya Radapa, and we are here to talk about some legislative updates. Thanks, Darby. Uh, thanks for coming on. I know there's been quite a bit going on in your world, and I think one of the big things we're going to touch on today is Assembly Bill 2764, if I'm correct. Yes, yes, by Assemblymember Nazarian. Uh, so 2764, and I won't need to mention the bill number because it just gets um, <laughs> it gets really you know mind-boggling with the amount of bills that we have to handle each year, but. This particular bill is, I think, well-rounded by summarizing it as an anti-CAFO bill. Um, and so confined animal feeding operation is defined in this bill as any operation that 
sells and processes livestock for a net income, not profit, of $100,000 or more, uh, which is ridiculous. Uh, so there was a lot of, um, you know, obviously the author and the folks that sponsored the bill were not and are not very familiar with any kind of agriculture, let alone animal agriculture. And, um, <clears throat> you know, those, those terms, uh, the definitions of, of monetary income, uh, it, it really shows uh, a level of ignorance that um, we don't need to go too deep into, but I'm sure producers that are listening to me right now are kind of laughing. It's like, yeah, well, that's like, um, you know, what I spend on feed in a day. So uh, there were a number of challenges with this bill, but generally it was a very poorly written bill. And Assemblymember Nazarian is not a renowned vegan in the Capitol, but he does uh, sympathize with plant-based um, uh, products and plant-based influencers. And in this particular moment, he was not familiar with a little group called Direct Action Everywhere, DXE. Um, he has become very familiar with this group now that he um, has had to make some changes in order to get some of his other legislative priorities through the assembly. Um, the bill essentially has been killed, and we'll talk a little bit about that. But um, I think Assemblymember member Nazarian is very sad and very, um, very regretful of allowing DXC's head under the tent. Well, I think that's probably a valid regret. <laughs> yeah, for most people that try to compromise with those who will not compromise, um, you know, it's this is not there's not a space at the table for people that um, have that point of view, especially in the Capitol. And so essentially, um, Direct Action Everywhere sponsored this bill um, as Assemblymember Nazarian was not aware of their criminal terrorist past. They are a um, listed domestic terrorist organization um, by the Federal Bureau of Investigation. So that caused immediate issues when he dropped the bill. Um, DXC held the governor's wife hostage several months ago in um, <clears throat> The residents here in Sacramento. And so immediately there was some pushback. But what ended up and happened, um, the bill was surgically killed by Western United Dairies and California Cattlemen's Association, where we essentially pointed out that um, the federal income designation for CAFO starts at half a million dollars. Um, this was not something that DXC was willing to compromise on. So it put the bill author in a real conundrum because he was trying to help them, but they would not help themselves. And it was either their way or the highway. And so it resulted in a very public battle last week that uh, where the bill was pulled, um, Assemblymember Nazarian said, I have other things to do than mess around with you people. Um, you know, we're here in the Capitol to compromise on issues, but they would not compromise so DXE decided to hold the Assembly Ag hearing hostage, uh, where they originally were slated to have a bill hearing, but since the bill was pulled, they ended up showing up anyways and gluing themselves to pieces of furniture. So um, that caused a stink on Twitter. Of course, you know, journalists love conflict. It's, it's what they do. So um, the whole thing ended very messy where there was, you know, arrests and people thrown out of the Capitol um, and then finally concluded this week with a ridiculous op-ed in the Sacramento Bee talking about why they glued themselves to the tables and why animals are treated humanely. So at the end of the day, very unfortunately so, um, because attention was given to this issue, which is exactly what these folks need and want, they have no desire to actually craft policy that helps animals. 
They just have a desire to get clicks, likes, and engagements on social media because that's how they raise funds. And so in this case, um, it was a very successful campaign for them, unfortunately. Well, that is unfortunate. And I can't help but think about bad, maybe a bad comparison, but maybe we, you know, when you're in preschool, the teacher teaches you that you should not glue your hand to the table. And I'm just a little distracted by the tactic, I guess would be a good way to put it. Yeah, it, it's really unfortunate. Uh, you glue your hand to the table with an animal-based product glue, for example. Um, yeah, I, I was really rooting for the Capitol Marshal to shut the lights off and let those individuals soil themselves overnight, teach them a lesson. That's the lesson that needs to be taught to kids who act out like this. Um, but they got, I mean, and to, to be fair, um, the chairman, Chairman Robert Rivas, did adjourn the committee hearing immediately and moved it to a different room. So he couldn't, you know, the so the Capitol feed, the news feed was not giving them any audience, but, you know, the damage was already done because the photographs and things went out on Twitter. And then obviously running the op-ed today or this week was ridiculous. So um, they have quite, um, they've pulled in quite the fundraising haul over this effort. And that followed an effort, and forgive me, um, all of the all of you basketball fans out there, where a DXC activist, I believe in Minnesota, earlier this week, had glued her hands to the floor of the court in the middle of an NBA game, which also gave DXC a tremendous amount of social media um, engagement that they otherwise wouldn't have gotten. So we can all expect this very childlike stunt to continue because it is paying off at the moment. Yeah, which is pretty unfortunate. But to your point, it garners media attention and now we are where we are. Well, in all the rescue efforts that we've interacted with DXC on in the past, our, our producers are very familiar with the fact that these guys like to steal calves and like to talk about it on social media. They steal goats, the very famous goat case where Wayne Swing, who's the He's the head activist there. Um, you know, he went to jail over this and he's now facing a quarter million dollar fine over stealing this goat. Um, but this is, you know, they're paying it, but they're paying the fines with their with their fundraisers money. And so there's just not a lot of um, of justice for for this space. Which is unfortunate. So we're at this place. I mean, we we can kind of expect, I would say, unfortunately, these stunts to somewhat continue, but what does this mean really legislatively for us? That's a great question. Um, as much as you know, we wanted to kind of turn our nose up at this bill, um, this is the third iteration of a bill like this in three years. And so the bill will find its way back next year. Assemblymember Nazarian is retiring at the end of August this session. Um, so it won't be him, but some you know, someone else will most likely carry a bill in some form or fashion. And this is all part of the anti-animal agriculture, anti-dairy, um, you know, plant-based bucket that we're starting to see. And I've mentioned on the podcast before, in 2017, we fought back six plant-based bills. In 2018, it was 12. In 2019, it became 13 plant-based bills. This year, we're now and have successfully fought back 18 of 19 plant-based bills. So they're only increasing in their numbers and they're getting a lot more strategic. This bill was particularly bad um, because it was written so poorly, but the concept of consolidating the food system is a terrible idea. 
um, our diversity in California is our resilience. And the whole premise behind these plant-based tactics and anti-animal act tactics of forcing food taboo on large swaths of people in California is an extremely privileged and elitist point of view. And so this bill represents that anathema in a, in a nutshell. And so although the author is retiring from the legislature this year, the bigger play here is really about plant-based school nutrition bills, which he's also carrying 558. We talked about this several weeks ago. Uh, make sure you scroll through the podcast and find that interview. I believe I did it in March, but the plant-based 558 bill that Assemblymember Nazarian is also killing is where so much of Western's energy is going into right now. Um, that bill incentivizes schools to replace meat and dairy products with school with plant-based products. So incentivize meaning 30 cents per meal per child. So there are, and that's a huge challenge because school districts are often um, over budget, underpaid. I mean, we could certainly have that debate. I'm sure some people would disagree with me on that statement, but it's very hard for a school district to turn down money where in this situation, they are making money by taking the plant-based alternative approach. Doesn't matter if the kid actually eats it or not, right? So that's, that's the trend. And this bill is just... Um, you know, one more kind of, just one more needle in that haystack. But um, I really want to congratulate our government affairs team. Our work with um, Cattlemen's and the Teamsters continues to shine through in these moments. Um, it really helps balance the policy discussion uh, because we are about food access and, you know, increasing diversity. We want to make sure that as many people across the state and across the world really have access to food. So that argument has been successful in each of these situations. But I will say that getting they, you know, the anti-animal ag folks are getting much more strategic. They're building their pack, which is not, um, we've not seen them do that before. Um, they are running um, vegan activist candidates. So the lady running for assembly member Nazarian's seat is a well-known uh, PETA supporter. Right. So these are things that, um, you know, we're watching with intensity and we'll certainly encourage all of our farmers to stay engaged with Western, stay engaged with our fight because um, it's coming. <laughs> We've just been really lucky fighting it back so far. Well, thank you, Anya. And I'm sure that any of our listeners who have any more questions about this issue or anything else that we are working on legislatively can reach out to you. My pleasure. Always available to talk to our members. Well, thanks again. Have a great weekend. Thanks for listening in to this week's episode of Seen and Heard, industry updates for the modern dairy family. We'd like to thank all of our guests this week, including Dr. Michael Payne, Anya Radabaugh, and our partners over at Blimling. If you have any questions or content requests, you can reach out to us at wud.pod at gmail.com. You can also reach Melissa at mlema at wudairies.com. And I can be reached at darby at wudairies.com. Thanks for listening. And remember to rate, review, and subscribe on your favorite platform. Have a great week and a happy Easter.
While Western United Dairies respects the varied views of our podcast guests, please know that views expressed on Seen and Heard may not necessarily reflect the positions of the Western United Dairies Board of Directors. Thank you to Western United Dairies generous business sponsors, Gar Bennett, California Dairy Magazine, Farm Credit Alliance, FNR Ag Services, Moss Energy Works, Bennett Environmental, PG&E, and Yosemite Farm Credit. We appreciate our sponsors and thank them for their continued support. If you'd like more information on how to sponsor Western United Dairies or this podcast, please send us an email at info at wudairies.com. That's info at wudairies.com.